0: Okay, welcome to the Kennedy Financial Podcast. Um, we are having a little discussion today about just libertarian politics. What's going on in the campus? What's going on in the Libertarian Party um, today? We got Michael Heiss, founder of the Mises Caucus in the Libertarian Party, and we also have Stephen Clyde. Uh, he runs the Peace and Liber- Liberty, pos- uh, sorry, Peace and Liberty Podcast. Um, and he he's also a college student, so he can give us a little bit, bit of an idea of what's going on on college campuses. Um, so just starting off with Mike, uh, you know, uh, I was really interested to learn more about what you do, and uh, I've seen a lot of what you've talked about on Facebook and in the Mises uh, Caucus Facebook group and in Tom Woods group. So I'm just interested in um, – I'm excited to hear what's going on. What's 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 the plan? What's uh what's the big events that are going to be happening with the Mises Caucus?
1: Well, thanks for having me, John. Um, so the the caucus originally started is as, as an effort to uh, kind of blow on the embers of the Ron Paul Revolution, uh, and and to kind of take that revolution and and uh that in some ways ended with Ron Paul's campaign and and became divided and and disparate and coalesce it back together within an organization that can't die the way that a campaign can. So um, that's what we've been working on. And we had a lot of success and growth in our, our first year in trying to uh, replace the chair of the Libertarian Party. And we came pretty close. And uh, we had a very successful uh, event called the Take Human Action Bash, where we had 500 people show up and Tom Wood spoke and Ron Paul, you know, sent us a video and endorsed us and uh, a bunch of people from the crypto sphere spoke. And it was just very, very inspiring. Um, and so we've we've been kind of in planning mode ever since then. And we've been uh, biding our time and, and building up our resources. So <clears throat> what that has culminated in is uh, we now have organizers in almost every state across the country. We have a content team, which actually uh, Steve here is the the head of. And uh, but the the big thing is we have just started the process of becoming what's called a hybrid pack, um, which is to say that an organization that has two bank accounts, one of which acts as a federal pack, the other, which acts as a super pack uh, with the intention of uh, with a three prong attack with. And that is. To recruit libertarians, especially Ron Paul type libertarians, that's the, and uh, Rothbard and the people who are fans of the Mises Institute, all that type of stuff. To recruit libertarians into the Libertarian Party and to affect the Libertarian Party and get that and get them involved in what we call our actions. So, if you go to the uh, lpmisescaucus.com, com, you'll see a page called Our Actions, uh, where <clears throat> we uh, we have listed all the types of things that we're we're trying to do from creating new county-level Libertarian Party affiliates to uh, legislation that bans the local police from uh, enforcing federal gun laws to local decriminalization of psilocybin mushrooms to state-level legalization of gold and silver. Um, you know, basically a whole array of issues to form issue coalitions with, with both Republicans and Democrats and be the catalyst for issues where uh, members of the Republicans or the de- are, are sympathetic, but there's no action. So um, it's it's right. a pretty big scope. That's just you know one of the three problems. Get people involved in the Libertarian Party. Uh, support candidates at the local and county level, uh, and also what I was talking about with uh, either ballot initiatives or lobbying efforts at the uh, local or state level.
0: Right. People are always uh, trying to figure out what the, what can I do. You know how can I make this a real um, actionable philosophy instead of just something you know I read about or something I talk about. I mean, so Stephen, from your frame of reference, when you're talking about campus and where there's so many high ideas and so much uh, abstract thinking going on, how do you try to frame this discussion of uh, libertarianism and and um, even Mises' ideas and uh, and all of that uh, into you know? Uh, good good discussion material with your fellow uh, college students.
2: Hey, well, thanks for having me on as well. Um, college campuses are a mess. They're a complete mess right now. I mean, you, you said there's a lot of abstract thinking that is going on at college. Just how it should be. I would say there's specifically a lack of abstract thinking going on at colleges, meaning we go there, we take our required classes, half of them we don't want to participate in, um we're stuck in this very controlled constructed environment that you know it doesn't really work in the public school sector as well um just having this uh type of teaching style where i don't know it's like i said it's just mostly a lack of abstract thinking so i mean uh for example i see posters all over my school that are telling you to sign up for some type of social justice activist whatever it may be and you see it all the time so um uh, I, I have literally so many stories I could go into regarding the college campus that I don't know if you want to jump into those yet. But overall, it's a mess right now. I'm, I live in Denver myself, so I go to a very progressive university. And it's just amazing. A lot of the kids, when, once you bring up the arguments that, you know, Misesians and Austrian economists believe in, um, they don't really know what to say. They've never heard these arguments before. In fact, think about the fact that Murray Rothbard, I think he was in his Ph.D. program before he even found out about Mises went to a few seminars, and the rest was history. But otherwise, we would have never had Murray Rothbard. I mean, they just literally don't talk about Austrian economics. I'm sure they talked about it more when Murray was going to school, and now it's just, um, I think there's definitely been a revival. But in general, most people don't even know who Mises is. In fact, uh, (laughs) my one favorite professor at my college, um, he's the only free market guy on campus. I would say he's more of a Chicago school type. And I asked him, you know, what do you think about Austrian economics? He was like, oh... I've heard of that Mises guy. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just the kind of thing you hear and see every single day. I mean, he's a really great economist. He, he just never, you know, the only thing he knew about Austrian economics is, yeah, I, I think they don't believe in math. <laughs> like that, that's, that's his conception of Austrian economics. So, I mean, obviously, he's a, a well-tenured professor. He could crush me. Just, you know, pr- people that have PhDs, they can usually crush you on a few points, meaning they know so much extra stuff they could just pick pull something out of the air that you, they know you don't know anything about, make you look dumb. So, I mean, I could tell him a million things about Austrian economics and he could tell me something about differential equations. I'll be lost.
0: <laughs> I was talking to um, a coworker about income because I do accounting and I was talking to him about, okay, um, let's say you take out a loan. And so then you have a, uh, say 50 K in cash and you have a loan, which is liability. And, that's not income. And he was basically, I was trying to explain that there's, you know, it's, you can't create income by increasing debt. And, um, it's, it, and yet, so, but that same person is incredibly knowledgeable about something else, you know, how to finance a deal or, you know, real estate transaction or something. And so, yeah, these people will outside of their wheelhouse, you know you just begin to think like, "Oh, okay, um you know <laughs> you're kind of well,
2: i' am very specific what I consider a nerd now, someone that knows everything about Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, I do not consider a nerd because they know things that are completely useless in the real world and they there I, I maybe there's something you could get out of Harry Potter moral wise I don't know I'm just saying uh you know some people consider themselves nerds, but their th- their knowledge consists of mostly useless." things i mean it's just uh i don't know any other way to put it so yeah i mean even a guy i was talking to the other day i was trying to explain the Austrian business cycle theory to him and he j- see once you start getting into your like your core classes because i'm an economics major so i'll be done with my undergraduate soon but once you get into like intermediate micro macro pretty much all you see all semester is a bunch of data so you're looking at graphs you're looking at uh data sets and everything you can think of that's related to statistics and they get mesmerized by it you know once you've once you've seen the data or the data that's presented it's kind of hard to say that huh maybe the data is wrong it's just not even something that crosses your mind at that point uh the data has to be correct Um, the data seems to imply that you know the federal reserve can can control inflation they can do all these all these things they say they can do and uh the data shows that and you know essentially what austrian economists argue is that data can't falsify e- economic laws. If, it, if 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 you uh, somehow find some data that seems to show that um, profit doesn't equal uh, revenue minus your cost, that's somehow just didn't turn out like that, you know the data's wrong. It's It's not that all of a sudden profit can somehow be negative. That's called a loss. That's two different things. So Austrian economists deal in synthetic a priori propositions, which means they're true by definition. You don't need experience to prove them. You don't need to test the stuff. Um, just mostly things that are true by definition.
0: So uh, yeah, like so, I, I can rant forever about this kind <laughs> <of> stuff. <but laughs> right. So Mike, thinking along those lines, you know, the, the a priori um, and the, you know, these ideas that um, Mises present, presented and the Austrian school presents, how, do, how does that mesh with uh, the Libertarian Party today? And, you know, the, you talk a lot, a lot about practical things that we can all do. So, um, but the guiding philosophy also seems to be there as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's most attractive about the the Austrian school is that um, any moderately intelligent and moderately interested person can get it. and And that's what's so powerful about it. That's why Ron Paul was so was able to grow so much because it's not like he was throwing out what Steve was describing. It's not like he was throwing out data sets and, oh, you need to know these formulas and and, and you need to know this this these complex mathematical concepts. It wasn't anything like that. It was just basics and, and the basics of scarcity, the basics of, of the Federal Reserve. And it all can be logically deduced. And as long as you understand that structure of of logical deduction, then you got it. You got or you at least you got the basics. And and you can start to form your own you know, your own conclusions from there. And then once you start to get that, it starts to bleed into other areas. You know what I mean? You can kind of uh, uh, apply that same thing almost to psychology. Once you understand how powerful incentives are with uh, with regard to uh, economic matters, it, it actually – Crosses the bridge into other things, depending on people's uh, different psychological makeups, you know, like w- whatever their uh, emotions might lead them to uh, be incentivized by, and and once you see that and it and you apply it, it ends up working. So you, you start to feel like you've stumbled onto something really big, you know. And um, now regards with the uh, the Libertarian Party, um, I, I think there's a lot of people who are. I, I don't know how big a researcher is the average, uh, activist within the party is. And, and I think there's a culture right now that the party is, is more of a club than an actual, uh, force for expanding libertarianism.
0: Right. Yeah. It, you know, it just on the ground and in my local LP, it does seem like, um, Hey, we're not, we're not Republicans and we're not Democrats. And, uh, you know, I hate defining our our beliefs in such uh, lousy terms. You know, I mean, Tom Woods has been really good at explaining that we're not, you know, we're not taking anything from these other groups. Where we have our own, and I like the fact that all of us here are uh, Tom Woods elite members. You know, because <laughs> I, I feel very comfortable, and like it, it is comfortable to be around people. Because even when you go to a Libertarian Party meeting, sometimes I get the sense that. uh I'm kind of, I'm, I don't have a ton in common. We do have more in common than you than I would with your typical Democrat or maybe a Republican, but like it's, uh, you still, you still feel like I can't just chuck out a, uh, a couple terms or, uh, you know, uh, a couple names out there and, and they might not just say, Oh, Hoppa, you know, I don't like him or something.
2: Yeah. You know, in my personal opinion, um, there's a lot of different sects of libertarians. I mean, When I first became a libertarian, it was honestly because I used to smoke pot in my parents' house and my parents hated it. Um, Ron Paul came on the screen one day and said we should legalize drugs. And that was honestly what propelled me to get into Austrian economics because one day he mentioned, he was saying all these weird things I'd never heard before, like things like Austrian economics. I'm like, what the hell is that? Because everything else he said made uh, made sense. Um, Now, when he talked about war, that threw me back a little bit because traditionally I came up in a conservative household and war is just something you get into if you love your country. I mean, that's literally, I, I I can remember my dad saying at times, you know, let's just blow up the whole Middle East and then the problem will be gone. I mean, these are the kind of things a lot of conservatives to this day still say. I think it's kind of leveled off a little bit. You're starting to see more and more anti-war um, traditional conservatives in that sense. But still, I mean, um, so so my my point is you have a lot of libertarians that they jump to libertarianism because maybe like one idea connects with them, whether it's pot, whether it's, um, well, a lot of libertarians tend to be pro-choice. So maybe it's the abortion issue, get the government out of that. You know, it could just be any singular issue. And beyond that, they're not too intellectually curious. Now, when you think about someone like Gary Johnson, I mean, that's, that's, that's the guy we're talking about. He's, Talk about
0: not intellectually curious.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like Gary, you know, as a person. He'd probably be fun to smoke pot with, but at the same time, he's he's really not that intellectually curious type of guy. He just isn't. I mean, he'll probably tell you that himself. He was on video one time, and he was asked um, something about the non-aggression principle, and Gary was like, well, I believe in the NAP, but you know, all this talk about the NAP just kind of goes over my head, and it's just, oh my God. Like, Chris, you know, Chris, because Chris. to us, that's like, the, that's, like the, that's like the most basic principle. It's like the first starting block, and then you can build from there. Like, if you
0: don't build that first block you're gonna have a weird looking house um don't you have to sign your name next to the nap before you can join the libertarian party <laughs> yeah
1: yeah you do yes yeah yeah, there, so, yeah go ahead well i think there's something in common with both uh it's, it's really a human trait more than a libertarian trait i think it exists in what steve was talking about uh about these college educated people and and i think it's uh also true within the libertarian community because uh I think a lot of libertarians kind of get the sense that, you know, relatively speaking with the rest of the political world, we're on the fringe and, and, uh, I, it, it takes a certain level of intellect to see the unseen. And that's a lot of the, the understanding that comes with libertarianism. And, uh, there's a, there's a tendency of intellect to get arrogant and, and, I think that applies to college educated people. And if you, try, you know, try to challenge them, well, I have a degree, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and so they get threatened that way. And I think the same thing exists in, in a lot of the libertarian world where you start to uh, poke people in their beliefs because there's kind of a, a clash of cultures in the, in the libertarian community. And you got left libertarians and constitutionalists and caps and all this different stuff. And uh, we, we push each other in the, in the, the, preconceived notions a lot and it causes a lot of fights because I think everybody sees themselves as smart because we're libertarians. Right.
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, for example, when I first got into libertarianism, I, my favorite topic was minimum wage because I just learned about Walter Williams and you know, I was really good at minimum wage. So you learn about one topic and you're an expert, you go out into the world and you're very arrogant and even at that point, if all you know is the minimum wage, even a Marxist is going to destroy you in a debate. You know, even if they brought up the labor theory of value and you didn't know anything about it, I mean, they would make it appear like they won. So yeah, people at first get into libertarianism probably a little arrogant. They know a few things about a few issues. So their confidence is up here. Now, as time goes on, I think the big diversion is when people first get into libertarianism, a lot of them are still in that two party mindset. So they think, you know, the way you go out and you win elections is just by um just by looking cool and like saying all the all the right things, whereas I think what me and Mike are trying to do with the Mises Caucus is make it more about real, solid, principled ideas because you can, e- even in the Libertarian Party, there's a lot of sects of it where people are not principled at all. They don't, they don't adhere to any moral set of principles at all, which is a huge problem. So as time goes on, you become more educated. You actually learn a multitude of topics, and then your confidence starts to go down, and you know, the, then the Dunning-Kruger effect is as you actually become an expert, it go, your confidence goes back to where it should be. So definitely a, di- a divergence in that area. Some people have been libertarians for 30 plus years, like Bill Weld, you know, I'll say would be. <laughs> libertarian. Would be. And that guy doesn't seem to know much. I mean, he, he, he knows the things that seem to make him a Republican or a Democrat, but he doesn't really say the things that would make you think he's a libertarian at all.
0: Yeah, the, yeah, these guys do know that um, they have to hold like the Marco Rubio's of the world or whatever, know that they have to hold a certain set of positions on these foreign policy issues. And that's and that's, going- Nick's,
2: that's Nick Starwick summed up for you, right? I mean, the guy just says what people want to hear. And everybody notices it. I mean, I think people who like Nick Starwork, they know that. I mean, he's just saying the things that they want to hear. And to them, they think that's the right thing to do because we're trying to become mainstream. You know, maybe if we just said the things they want us to say. I mean, talking about Mises in this episode, um, Mises was a professor from, let's see, 1945 to 1969 at New York University. He never had a paid uh, teaching position there. In fact, that whole period, he was considered a visiting professor. And the Volker Fund was paying a salary because the Volcker Fund knew how much of a genius Mises was.
0: I mean, <laughs> they're,
2: go, they're, go, they're going Mises, folks. They're going Live cat. TV,
0: folks. Anything can happen on status financial Statist podcast. Status kitty. But I mean,
2: <laughs> when you talk about Mises, he was an absolute genius. It's, it's hard to understate. It's hard to overstate that. By the age of 12, he spoke German, Polish, French, Latin. And he understood Ukrainian, and obviously he went on to learn English and all these. So by the end of his life, he knew like six, seven, eight languages. I mean, that's just incredible. Most people don't even know, too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's just the uh, when you know. I think it's it's ballsy to name your um, caucus after him, too. I mean, I like. The uh, Mises Institute uh, tagline or I don't know, motto where they say, you know, do not yield to evil, but proceed ever more boldly against it. And when you think of this idea that we actually have principles, moral beliefs that don't change. And um, so I like that the way that motto kind of frames. This is a this is a philosophy that we're we're not willing to, uh, you know, make big concessions or little concessions here and
1: there. Well, you know? it takes a, it it it's kind of goes beyond uh philosophy at that point. And at that point you're talking about a lot more than that. You're talking about a philosophy mixed with an attitude and an orientation of your life. You know what I mean? Like like you have found so basically what we believe is that we have found we think we have found something that is true and right and we're willing to fight for it. You know, and it's not a passive fighting. It's a it's a we are going to go and face down evil and fight it. And I don't, I think people have lost sight of that's really what we're doing. Like, and I think we're, we're so used to getting our asses kicked politically. So all the time that we've lost sight of that and, and, and we've lost sight of what the stakes of what we're doing really are and, and what the implications of what we're doing really are. Um, They're very, very radical. If we were to take, if we were to get ourselves, you know, set up and get ourselves oriented and, and become successful, uh, the implications are huge and 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 i don't think people are uh i think there's a lot of people who aren't ready for what would happen if we ever became actually successful i mean could you imagine what would come back at the libertarian party if we had put a legitimate spook in in the two-party system as a, as a legitimate outside threat
2: yeah maybe we can transition in a few minutes to justin amash because i think he recently announced that uh he wants to be in the libertarian party if i understand that correctly before we talk about that um yeah. you know maybe it's maybe it's worth touching on how the Nisus institute was created now most people don't know that when the cato institute started i forget if that was 1974 1976 in the 70s um murray was the one that actually gave the cato institute its name because it's based off cato's letters it was a very popular um set of writings that were passed out through 1720 to 1723 and they were heavily um they played a a big role in what eventually became the American revolution, you know, fighting against the British and getting getting rid of the British monopoly. So Murray came up with the name for the Institute. He was eventually ousted from the Institute. Um, I forget the exact detail why, but I think it was just a beef with him and the Koch brothers and uh, the, the politicians that the Koch brothers wanted to run. And Murray basically said, you know, why are you, why are you giving up your principles? Like you're dealing with me, Murray Rothbard. Like you don't think I'm principled. Like, come on, you don't, you don't know anything about me. Um, now, when the Mises Institute was started, Lou Rockwell told the story on the Tom Wood show. And essentially, Ro- Lou Rockwell got a phone call one day. And, and the, I forget who was on the other end of the line, but they were telling Lou, you are not going to start a Mises Institute. And their reasoning was, don't you know how hard we've tried to make Friedrich Hayek the center of Austrian economics? Nobody liked Mises. I mean, that, that was what they were telling Lou. And I think Lou just pretty much told him, you know. F off and he started the institute, and good for him. But you know, a lot of things set precedence for other things. Like if you asked me who's my favorite economist, I th- I think Murray Rothbard was the greatest economist that ever lived. I mean, just by uh volume of work he put out alone, I think he's the best. But at the same time, I should say Mises, because without Mises, there's no Rothbard. Um, so without the Mises Institute, who knows if we'd be sitting here right now. I mean, it's uh it's hard to say a lot of those things. For example, um, when I first found out about Ron Paul, I may have never become intellectually curious if not for Tom Woods. That's just the truth because I listen to Tom Woods. I'm like, oh my God, I, I need to get reading. Like, uh, what the hell am I doing sitting here with my minimum wage argument? I need to do a whole lot better than that. So yeah, sorry, sorry to rant, but um, that's, that, that's essentially how I feel about everything. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you knew that story, Mike, <laughs> about Lou getting that call. <laughs>
0: yeah thank god that he did the uh you mentioned justin amash so yeah i've heard he's he's kind of vocal about he said he didn't want a squishy republican being the libertarian um nominee yeah maybe mike knows more about that
1: well i don't i don't know if he we don't nobody knows if he's actually going to join the party or not there's a lot of rumors and there certainly seems to be a bit of theater out there in how certain things were handled you know he did that interview uh at Liberty Con that, where you just mentioned where he kind of threw shade at, at Johnson and Weld and called them squishy Republicans. And then they said, Oh, well, what kind of person, you know, do you think should uh, run? He said, somebody that wears, I think he said Jordans or something while wearing Jordans, you know, and then, uh, and then after that, Bill Weld acknowledged, Oh yeah, that's me. He would be, and Amash would be a great person to run. And so there seems to be a little bit of theater and there's a lot of rumors. Um, we don't know, but that would certainly be uh, uh, the kind of shot that we need uh if of energy that we need if in the party if he were to join
2: you know it's funny um when bill weld well, word was going around that bill weld's going to become a libertarian and i i saw this one article that was quoting w- bill weld as saying you know that's a lie like i don't know where or he's becoming a a republican so someone's bill weld said that ah oh, that's just a lie like that's just made up like 2 days later he like Came out and fully did it so i don't i don't know you you saw that mike that was hilarious uh you know we all we all knew bill weld was republican all along or a democrat or whatever you want to call him he's not a libertarian
1: (laughs) yeah but but in a way it's it's i i mean i think it's a great thing uh in in every way you know uh, because frankly i'm i'm not a fan of bill weld but if i were to cheer for him at all i'm more apt to do it with him in the republican party because then the role that he plays is more of a overton window shifter which is fine. You know what I mean? Like it's a completely different situation where he he is the presidential candidate of the LP and being the torchbearer of our philosophy. I mean, I've had nightmares about him <laughs> him being the first person on the debate stage behind the podium telling like giving the first impression of the American to the American people of what libertarianism is. I've had literal nightmares and like woken up like of, of that. <laughs> <Wow>. Cuz <'Cause>, like <laughs> I mean, think about it. First impressions are really important and it would be a historic yeah. event for somebody. So whoever goes out there has got to be a Ron Paul type person to be able to bring people together and and, and motivate people and get people energized and get people to leave school or leave their job for that year and, no. and do whatever. Bill yeah. Weld is not that guy.
0: I mean, He's very Ron, low energy. Very Ross, low energy. Ross Perot, yeah, Trump would just destroy him by calling oh, yeah. him low energy. But yeah, Ross Perot, I mean, <laughs> for what it's worth, I guess, he, he kind of got the reform party in somewhat of a state where the, like Pat Buchanan was able to run and have some kind of, uh, you know, groundwork, And there, you know, so he, I think, you know, didn't he, um, I forget how it worked, but he, he had a lot of money, but he was also able to get a lot of ballot access. Uh, anyway, I don't know, but that, that's like the first guy you think of when you, and, and it's not a really glamorous picture of Ross Perot on the stage there. You no, know,
2: the thing about Will that really gets me, I, kn- I know this as a general rule that people of older age are stuck in their ways. Now, someone that's been a, libert- a libertarian for 30, 40 years, I don't believe that all of a sudden you're good on gun control after having said, oh, I think, I think pistols are as much of a problem as rifles. And of course, Bill Wilde wants to ban bump stocks as well. I don't think that in, that in 2018 that he all of a sudden became good on gun control. I don't believe that. I just don't, I don't believe any of the changes he said, he said he's made. Uh, there was one video, you guys can go look it up, where uh, Adam Kokesh went up to him in a bar and was basically just chastising him and well deserved it. But Weld came back and uh, Adam asked him, What do you think taxation is? And Bill, Weld, and Bill Weld said, Well, taxation is theft. Taxation is theft was my motto in my campaign. Like, are <laughs> you kidding me? Like, you, 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 does anybody buy this? I mean, someone has to buy well- this. But it's just you do two minutes of research and you're like, huh, you, know, you kind of said this thing like six months ago about, you know, pistols being as bad as rifles. I, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Or you're loopy like, you know, Alzheimer's. I don't know. What do you say about the guy? He's just
0: incredible. Severe drinking problem.
2: Well, I don't know if you've
0: ever seen. I'll, that I'll say this.
1: The most important thing is that he's gone
0: and yeah, for sure.
1: we, it's, we don't have to worry about it anymore.
2: <laughs> what are we going to talk about now? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: Well, we just we just end up uh, having to direct our energies toward who the actual person will be and uh, I think in I even,
1: but I even think that that
0: might not be the, the
1: the right way to look at it because that's that's how we've been looking at it for a long time and we can't we can't crack the five percent to get into the debates unless we have somebody that's going to unify the troops and really present uh, something that people can latch on to um, so long term I don't think, gunning for the presidential race is really the strategy we need to be employing. I, I see the presidential race as a, as a promotional, uh, the biggest promotional opportunity of, of the four year cycle that. Nope. I
0: don't Mike. know if we, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I hope not. Yeah. Maybe we uh, we might've lost. Well, uh, oh, there he's back. Okay. Nope. Oh, he might be gone. Well, I'll, might, just,
2: I'll just finish Mike's sentence because it's yeah. essentially what he's getting at. Is what we're focused on with the Mises Caucus we, is not trying to get a presidential candidate per se. I mean, that'd be nice.
0: We'd be um, able to. Oh, hey, Mike, you he still there? Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh- <laughs>
1: I'm here. Yeah, I, I was talking the whole time. Did you lose me? <laughs> yeah, oh, no, no. I, I mean, we you left you behind.
0: We left you behind where you were saying uh, <sighs> standard bearer. The the nominee will be the standard bearer, and we'll, oh, okay, yeah.
1: And and if that if that person can can propel us into the world stage and and get into the debates, then that's awesome. But until we can get there, yeah. I, I, I think we should focus on uh and and what the aim of the the Mises caucus is, is. What we call a decentralized revolution. You know, don't worry. You know, we can't. The, the right now, the Libertarian Party can't win state state level races, let alone president. So we have to focus on where we can and do win, and where that is is at the local level. You know, like uh, the people people look at our, our Senate races from 2018 and, and, and all of that, and they say, "Oh my God, it was such a bad year." Larry Sharp got less than two percent, and you know, and, and it's deflating when you look at it that way. But I think the proper way of looking at it is, what did you think was going to happen? You know what I mean? It's New York. He got ballot access for the first time in the party's history. What they don't talk about is how we actually gained ground at the local level. There's more libertarians elected to the local level now in in 2018 than there was at the beginning of the year. And one of them was um, Jeff Hewitt. And and he's in like the 11th most populated county in the country where there's like a five and a half billion dollar budget. I mean, he's he's in a county that's bigger than than if he had won like a congressional seat in. Uh,
2: New Jersey. So maybe, maybe yeah. a good way to think about it, Mike. Um, you can agree or disagree that it'd be better if we won fifty seats on a local level versus a Libertarian getting ten or fifteen percent, and still, you know, it's it's pretty marginally, pretty low vote. Versus it'd be better if we could just get a lot well, of people in in the in the local. Uh, well, look look what happened with the Bundys. The Bundys had that big
1: standoff and they stood down. That's what we can turn city councils into. These people don't want to to, they they don't. It's very, very important to the apparatus of the state to maintain the the mind control, the cultural control, the the appearance that that their rule is is legitimate, because if they ever lose that, they're going to have to. Every, everyone's going to have to, they're going to have to show that it's actually forced. It's not really legitimate. It's not really uh, consented to it, it, That's just the, the kind of dog and pony show that they give us to, to put the, the velvet glove over the iron fist. Um, so if we can turn this, turn city councils or turn states ultimately into something that will say no, then they're going to be forced in, into that same type of situation where they had a stand, you know, the standoff with the Bundys with city councils. Now, how is that going to make them look? And that's yeah. doable. That's the thing. That's
2: doable. It's, do, it's doable it. from the bottom up. It's doable at a local level to slowly chip away at the state from the bottom up. But it's a little bit unrealistic to try to do it from the top down. You know, be, before we ever get rid of a law, we have to get a libertarian as president. Well, it's just right. probably not going to happen yeah. for a long well, another time. Way, yeah.
1: Another way of looking at it is why would you focus all of your energy in electing something that's the
2: first thing on the chopping block? And then get upset when they get three percent. It's like you know we've we've only focused on the presidential race. Got no people elected on the local level, and uh, now we're sad. Now we're just like all. That's kind of yeah. That's kind 50%. of what you
0: can see with Trump is that he 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 got into the presidency, uh, and it's just him. He's got no friends in government. He's got no no, no bottom up um, apparatus to sort of select from for any of his. Cap- Positions or anything, and, and so he's he's pulling people from the swamp. One thing I mean, he truly that, wings the speeches yeah. too. He truly wings all of the speeches. You can tell. Oh yeah, <laughs> which, which I mean is entertaining. Is, is yeah, definitely definitely right. entertaining. the I think also um, even if it's not a city council, but even a planning board or a zoning board is. Um, I I see regularly in this area. Just they could they could say no no we're not approving um, you know X Y Z project or. Um, assuming it's a government project, they say we well, no, we're just not gonna approve that. And we will approve uh pretty much anything else. But you know, you get a lot of um so it, it would just be a way to enact more uh free market, you know, we're,
2: we're yeah, so we're, far we're, we're so far gone from the colonial days because back when we had the original 13 colonies, those were 13 countries. Thomas Jefferson referred to Virginia as his country till the end of his life. Um this wasn't one big giant um conglomerate country it just wasn't it was uh, a bunch of many countries that all um were were sovereign um so we were so far past that you know the idea of we are the government well that can only be that could only exist in the framework of we're 50 united states um that's why if you ever listen to brian mcclanahan he he usually refuses to call it the federal government he says it's the general government it's (laughs) the general government not the federal government um and there's a reason for that historically uh what we have with states right now it's very odd it's very odd that you know i live in colorado you guys live in whatever state you live in uh but we all feel like we're part of this big um pool party type of thing and we're really not i mean um if you live in idaho you have a much different lifestyle than if you live in new york city um a lot of different types and it should be that way i mean we should be able to live where we feel comfortable and and the culture we grew up in and everything uh I, I'm not saying a melting pot in the racial sense. I'm just saying a melting pot in that you know we're all supposed to be part of this big thing. When in reality we're we're, we're not part of this big thing. That's that's the big lie.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I, I think decentralization is kind of the everybody wins plan. You know what I mean? Because why should the dictates of people from who who have different cultures in the same country have any uh, say over? Everybody else with different cultures, you know what I mean, and, and that's this. As multiculturalism is is being pushed more and more, the the one size fit all thing becomes increasingly odious to it and to an increasing number of people. And that's good in that in a way, but it's also really bad in a way because uh, these people are being are. are the people who are falling into this, they're 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 falling into solutions that are for like low hanging fruit. You know what I mean? Because, like I said, a lot of the solutions, a lot of libertarian solutions kind of rely on on a deeper analysis and and accepting the unseen. But when you got all the socialists coming out and saying and pointing at directly the, the surface level of the problem and saying, oh, you know, inequality and, and, you know, just vote for me and I'll give you what you want. And that's what's being taught in the schools then it's going to bring this whole house down. Whereas it doesn't have to be that way. If we, if we just do the decentralization thing, everybody can get what they want, what they want within the confines of their communities or their states or whatever.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the, the so-called, we always need to have a quote, national conversation about uh, the social justice issue of the day. And then yet in, in reality, in daily life, in my local community, I never am confronted with acts of hate, or anything like that, you know. The interactions I have with people uh, are are always fine. I mean, Dave Smith often talks about that, where he'll just hire a Muslim Uber driver to take him to X, Y, Z, and he's a Jew, and they just get along because you know market interactions. And that's, yeah. that's 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 I think a great message to be able to present on a local level that um, maybe we libertarians haven't haven't done historically. So at, at the at the least, um
2: were by no means living in a more racist society than we did in say the 1960s and 70s my parents used to tell me stories about race riots like literal race riots you have white people on one side black people on the other side and police in the middle and people were just at war with each other i mean i grew up uh with hardly any white friends at all i grew up with jamaican friends and chinese and korean friends i had a friend from russia i had a friend uh who was middle eastern i mean we were just uh I hardly had any white friends growing up and just a generation prior to that, it was just, you had to walk around in big groups with your, with your race. I mean, that's how it was. Um, So the social justice idea that things are actually getting worse that, you know, all these uh, racial incidents are increasing. um, It's, it's all media uh, propelled.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, it's, it's funny because the, what we were talking about earlier is kind of the, I think the fundamental beauty that, that of the free market is, is, Something that attracted a lot of us to the the philosophy, you know. I mean, look at our so look at our economy. We're largely a consumer economy. We're largely an import economy. So think about you know if if you were somebody who was interested in in diversity and multiculturalism, think about how how diverse the our products are because most of it's coming from other people. I mean, it's not white people making a lot of the things. Oh
0: darn! Oh darn!
1: <laughs> Why well, I mean, I'm still it,
0: talking? Well, oh, you- I mean, yeah, uh, you can mic. Like, yeah, you're back. <laughs> Damn.
1: So where did where did you, you said me?
0: it's not white people making.
1: Oh well, it's not.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a good place to leave. Um,
1: no, but like, think about it. Think about how much we import. How much we import from India. How much we import from China. How much we? Yeah, you know, it, it's not white people making the products that Americans are buying. So like, it, it, it the, the free market brings people together in that way that we don't even perceive and we just take for granted. We just take for granted that these things are available at the price that they're available and, and that they're that they come from all over the world. And 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 people, I think, have lost sight of that. You know, and, and that's what was that was one of the big dawnings in my experience from the Ron Paul thing is that it made you look at things that you take for granted every single day and, and start to realize the implications of them. Like, like, go, like, go out and talk to people on the street and just ask them what is money and where does it come from? What are prices? They don't know. They just take it for granted. It's just, well, price is just what I pay. And yeah. and, and how did it get there? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. and, and, and once you start to unpack it, there's this whole beautiful synchronistic thing behind it that, that is just completely taken for granted.
2: Yeah, I think some people are so, I hate to use the term uneducated. I mean, it sounds kind of rude, but some people just know so little that, it's almost hard to... You don't even know where to start when explaining things to them. Like, for instance, you're talking about money, Mike. Most people would have no idea what you're talking about if you said money in its most original form uh, originates as some type of commodity, a commonly sold commodity. They wouldn't even know what you're talking about. They wouldn't know what a commodity is probably. They probably wouldn't know. I mean, money to them is just a green piece of paper. Right. It's not not even paper. It's like cotton and linen, some mixture of that. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of how we think about things. We don't even think... You know, so when people make fun of the gold standard, they usually wouldn't even be able to answer that first argument, that, that first point I asked. So it's, it's kind of hard to not notice. I mean. <laughs> well, yeah, but if,
1: if that's the ignorance that, that breeds the, 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 like I said, they take it for granted.
2: And, and like, like, like you made the point earlier, people can understand this. It's just any person that's willing to open up their mind for maybe five minutes can get this if they really want to. And personally, I just consider everybody else lazy. Um, my favorite story about Murray Rothbard, or one of them, is the way he converted Walter Block to anarchy was he asked him, well, you know, the United States and China right now live in anarchy with each other, meaning one country doesn't control the other. Now, you, you can make a separate argument that that does occur, but just in general, like, they're, you know, we, we're not ruled by the laws of China. They're not ruled by the laws of the U.S. Um, that's, that's anarchy right there. Uh, do you think we should have a one-world government? And most people, most at least, most people aren't going to answer yes. They're going to say, "Of course, I don't want a one-world government." Like people in Mexico, people in Australia, like they should be able to have their own culture and not be ruled by me over here. Until
1: we have, have until we have one, then they'll say, "Yeah." Yeah. (laughs) Sorry.
2: So so, so the point is, you you see that we have anarchy between countries. You say you don't want a one-world government. Um, Why can't we take this all down to the individual level? And. blank out. There's no real answer to that. I mean, once you realize that you're an anarchist, you realize, okay, um, this doesn't have to be this way because it exists right now. We have anarchy all throughout the world. And in most of our daily lives, um, you know, we're we're tied to the government in some way. Like I have to have my driver's license to drive, whatever. But in general, I mean, no one's directing this Google Hangouts right now. Um, I go out and I go get McDonald's or whatever junk food I'm eating that day. Um, You know, no one's controlling me in that sense.
0: So we we, we do live in anarchy most uh times of our life. We, yeah, we most do. of the time we're yeah, most of the time we're not even um getting pulled over by a police officer and told to go to our job or or what have you. I mean, they're not yeah. they're not saying, "Oh, you didn't uh open you know, you didn't open your eyes this morning um and wake up. You know, they didn't remind you to do a zillion things." So, yeah, and nobody
2: nobody can 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 uh, control our mind uh, most of all. If you guys have ever read the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's basically about his experience in the concentration camps, in uh, maybe it was in Poland, but you know under under the Nazi regime. And the main idea of that book, or at least the first half of it, the second half is about logotherapy. But the first half of the book, the basic idea, you know, nobody people could take away everything from you. They can take away your family. They can take away your possessions. Um, they can take away everything that they know you care about. But they can't. The one thing they can't take away from you is your ability to control your own thoughts and to think what you want to think. They can't they can't take that away from you. Um and I think that's that's a really important thing to remember.
0: Yeah, that's a great theme in uh Gulag Archipelago. I mean, he uh definitely is a man who I throughout the book I, I keep seeing where he's he's maintaining his own independence, you know, as difficult as it is. But um you know, there, so, is, there yeah. is a time in all of our
2: lives when we ask, you know, well what are we here for? What do we live for? Um, I, th- I think one of the reasons is we know we're unique. We know we're um, all individuals. We have idiosyncratic perspectives and views and tastes and desires, and that makes us human.
0: If it was any other way, we wouldn't be human. Yeah, definitely. So, um, gentlemen, I think we're hitting up to the uh, we're getting up to the final portion of the show. So, if we just want to go through, um, maybe just talk about some plugs and what you're doing and what's what you got planned um and starting with uh mike
1: so uh the website is com and uh just to reiterate uh what we are doing the caucus has has never been done in the history of the party nothing like this has ever been done i mean there's been packs that existed but they're like they were state level packs or Packs that supported Gary Johnson or or something like that. There has never been a hybrid pack. First of all, and, there, and and hybrid packs are only are new within the past six years. Um, but there's never been a a pack that exists to implement its own strategy to grow the party, and that's what we're doing, and that's what the decentralized revolution is. It's it's. Uh, Electing, getting good candidates elected to local and county level and using our candidates as the mouthpiece for our principles, using our content for the mouth as a mouthpiece for our principles. We produce content and uh, as well as the other part of it that I really I didn't really get to touch on is um, these issue based coalitions, you know, forming forming coalitions with with Democrats where appropriate, forming coalitions with Republicans where appropriate and using that to lobby city councils or lobby state governments you know, for issues uh and and pursue ballot initiatives. And and I think if we do that that we're gonna we're gonna have a uh the strongest effect that we can have from our marginalized political position.
0: And Steve.
2: Um yeah you can find me at for dot com. I'm really, really bogged down with school right now. Um I'm I wouldn't say my podcast is on a hiatus, but I'm trying to put out at least – I'll turn this into an episode, by the way. So I'll at least have one episode <laughs> there. I have another episode coming out too. Um, I'll just try to get out maybe like an episode whenever. I I can't promise anything anymore. Once I'm out of school, I can go live my life and do all the, do all this podcasting stuff like I want to. Um, being my core classes just sucks. Um, but you can find me at 4 And I'm always trying to write articles and put them up on the Mises site, which uh, Mike mentioned is lpmisescaucus.com. Um, the only th- one other thing I wanted to hit on and maybe Mike can touch on it is some candidates we're thinking about running or I don't know if I don't know if anything, any of the dust has settled there, Mike, that we know of people that are going to be interested. Um, I know a few names that I don't know if I'm allowed to say them yet. So <laughs> so
1: there's not there's not too much on the um, candidate front yet, just because we're early in the year. And uh, Josh Smith, who was on the LNC as an at large member, is our uh, candidate rep. So he's going to be doing that whole process of finding our horses that we're going to be betting on. Um, right now, the thing that we're starting to really gear up for is the Libertarian Party state conventions and trying to get people elected where we can to officer positions in the states. So, you know, we got Matthew McGowan running for chair in Ohio. We've got Steve Nicaglia, who is another LNC member, who's a friend of the uh, the caucus, running for chair in Florida. Josh is running for chair in California. So, um, that's, that's the main thing. We, we don't have all of our horses lined up yet. As far as the, the local government, I'm sorry, the local races and the county level races. We, uh, we're just now starting the, the process of becoming a hybrid pack, forming the bank account. So we're going to be, it's going to be fundraising season, uh, for, most of the team while Josh figures out who our horses are and we'll, we'll be announcing more as time goes on in that front.
0: Great. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited. I'm super excited about the, uh, the Austin convention, you know, where I may, I may show up as the designated Kennedy financial, uh, representative. So, uh, oh, yeah, next I, week. Might show, I might oh. show up to that too, actually, um, I, I think I'm signed up.
2: But everybody should. Oh, it's yeah. I want the convention. I'm, I'm thinking, thinking about a Y'all. I'll
1: leave with one message because there's I, 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 I don't know if your your audience is primarily ANCAPs, caps, but um, probably a lot of libertarians. Well, I, you know, I, I'm an, I consider myself a philosophical ANCAP and cap and I was the type that I saw the party joke for a long time, too. You know, and, and uh, I, I made my bones in the in the liberty movement. You know, after the Ron Paul thing, I was a cop blocker. I I did podcasting and and all of that kind of stuff. And um, what really, what the big picture here is for me, what we're really after is, you know, because I don't know if anyone's going to get motivated by a city council race that's happening halfway across the country. That you know, like I don't know. But the big, the big picture here is, is that we all know, or we all say that we know that. There is some kind of end on the horizon, you know, with regards to the Keynesian system. Um, we all know that, but we don't act like it. And uh, so what this is really about with the big picture for the Mises Caucus, is, is that we have got to do something to start getting an influence in the states and the localities within those states, because if we don't, the move Throughout history has always been for the control the people the 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 people who run the control systems to create a crisis and then benefit off of the chaos that that crisis creates and then come along and give the solution. It's not that it's going to be the same move. They're 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 going to crack like this economy is eventually going to pop and and you're going to have a dollar issue and and the the politicians are going to use the media and there's going to be a lot of pain in the inner cities. And they're going to point to that. And they're going to say that this is capitalism's fault. The free market has failed. You need us. And look at how bad everything is over here. And, and unless we have an influence in the States, the States are going to go along with it.
2: Well, And once the ideas die, they die pretty quickly and they're hard to revive. That's why it took so long to revive Austrian economics to the extent. It's been revived. Uh, you know, um, You're absolutely right, Mike. And that's kind of why we centered this around the college campus thing, because it's only getting worse and worse. I mean, it's way beyond the fact that kids aren't being taught anything anymore. They're being taught all wrong things, and they're not taught how to think. In fact, I don't know if thinking is something that can be taught. It's something that you can develop your thinking, but I don't know if you can be taught how to think. Um, Specifically, college campuses produce the opposite type of person. Um, so unless it's, it's really up to us to keep the ideas alive um, pass it on to our kids if we have kids and uh, keep, keep the spirit alive because half of it's you know the ideas and the other half of it's people having hope the people are, are people actually hopeful that libertarians could get anywhere or are they only going to focus on the 3% we only get 3% of the vote thing and then they're back in the two party system and then we've lost
0: those people um, I, I think there's a lot of ground to be made Yes, I'm definitely excited. I'm definitely looking forward to uh, all that's in store. Um, So thank you all. Thank you both for uh, joining us today. Really appreciate it. Um, And until next week, so long.